Welcome to the Ipsos Politics Talk podcast. My name is Kieran Pedley. Well, we're almost a month into 2023 now, so what better time to take a step back and look at where we are in terms of the political situation at Westminster. It's no secret that, of course, the, the Labour Party have a large lead over the Conservatives. And as we look ahead to the next general election, we'll be asking on this podcast, can the Conservatives turn it around? And if so, how would they do that? But also, what does Labour need to do uh, to seal the deal with the electorate and to avoid uh, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory as has sometimes happened in the past uh, for that political party and to discuss the numbers and some of the implications of those i am joined by my colleagues cameron garrett and holly day um cameron and, ha and holly welcome to the show so i'll start with opening remarks from you um holly obviously um lots to take stock of and we're going to go through some of the detail uh, in, in in this podcast but i guess in a nutshell where do you see things um one month into 2023. I think it's going to be an interesting year ahead actually as you've alluded to in the intro with the current um, headline voting intention obviously it's looking like Labour have got a pretty comfortable lead at this point but as we know um, things can change quite quickly in politics and the jury still seems to be out from from a public perspective so we did actually run some predictions um, at the start of this year to see what the public think um, are going to happen so it's a bit of a cop-out for me to be honest but 50% of people do think there's likely to be a general election this year. So jury's still fully out on that one and it's it's anyone's guess. Um, confusingly though, more people think Rishi Sunak will not be prime minister by the end of this year than will. Um, but that doesn't seem to me that they think Starmer's gonna be prime minister either. Only a quarter of people think that he is. So it seems someone else is is gonna jump into the fore according to, according to the general public. So um, it's anyone's guess really, but means that we've got another another interesting year of, of podcasts in ahead at least. Yes, we certainly do. Although I hope uh, we've not quite got the same number of leadership elections as we had, uh, as we had last year. Um, Cameron, unpredictable times, um, but w briefly, what do you make of the year ahead? Yep, after last year, it um, seems crazy to try and make a guess for what might could happen this year. Um, but I think it's interesting how you can see both parties starting to gear up for that general election, which we're thinking will be next year at some point. So you're seeing um, Keir Starmer this month has been smoozing business leaders in Davos. Um, you've had both of their speeches, both in the same location, I believe, in East London. Um, you had um, Rishi Sunak setting out his plan and his five priorities. And you kind of see them starting to think about... Um, it nearing further and further ahead as pollsters we always love to say it's still a long time out but actually now we are see, seeing that narrowing and getting towards a general election yeah we like to buy ourselves some time don't we um and of course there'll be there'll be events that take place that can shift the narrative and one i wanted to talk about briefly um before i hand over to you guys uh, for your topics is um the recent sacking of nadine zahawi as conservative party chairman um we're getting a few questions about sort of what impact this might have, and I promise I'm not picking on him. Um, but whenever a, a cabinet minister is removed from office or leaves office, it's often asked, you know, what what implications um, will this have? And I'm often at pains to say that, you know, often these things in the Westminster Village don't have the impact with the public that you might expect. And I think, by and large, that's probably going to be the case here. But I do think that um, there's an interesting topic to be discussed around sort of trust in politics. So. We have our Ipsos uh, Veracity Index, which is an annual survey that looks at trust in 30 different professions. Now, it won't surprise people to know that top of those professions are nurses, 
uh, and engineers and doctors in terms of and, and scientists in terms of who's trusted the most. So in each case, more than eight in 10 members of the public trust those groups of workers, uh, teachers, museum, museum uh, curators, judges, professors are also up there as well, eight in 10 um, trusting those. Um, as an aside, it does go to show a bit about how difficult a political opponent the nurses will be for any government. But down at the bottom is politicians generally ranked 30th out of 30 and 12% say that they trust politicians uh, generally. Now, again, that might not surprise people that you know politicians aren't particularly trusted. Uh, they're down there with advertising executives, government ministers and estate agents and journalists, sorry, journalists. Um, but this is the lowest figure we've had for politicians uh, going back to the early 80s. And I think if we're going to get into the stats of this and why not, this is a stats based podcast. I mean, generally speaking, 12% or the low the low teens are, are around that level. We've seen these levels before in, in around the time of the expenses scandal, uh, the late 2000s, also around the late 90s in, in the back end of John Major's premiership. But as much as politicians aren't particularly trusted, um, then they're really not trusted at the moment. And I think this speaks to the, the legacy of Johnson's government, which is often overlooked. Um, I wrote in July about how one the number one thing people were looking for from the new, next prime minister was an honest person. Yes, someone that was good in a crisis, that could deliver, that understood the problems facing the country, all that sort of stuff. But honesty was really the top of the list. So there's definitely something going on here about integrity and public concern about that. Now, again, to be absolutely clear, this isn't blaming Hadeen Zahawi for all of that, only to say that when you get things like this, where there are questions about trust in politics, uh, it doesn't help Rishi Sunak and his government uh, try and sort of execute that rebound in the polls that we'll talk about on this podcast. So I don't think decisive that particular event, but it does raise a wider question about trust in politics being very low at the moment. Um, and that might have sort of a, an anchor effect, if you like, on um, the ability of Sunak to launch a, a sort of political comeback. Um, but there's a few thoughts from me. I mean, Cameron, I know you were going to talk a little bit more about the Conservatives uh, on, on, on this show. I mean, just how bad are things for them at the moment? Yep. So I do agree with you. I think in isolation, the Nadeem Sahawi event um, probably not had that much cut through, but it does build into that continuity of um, being mired in scandal and um, it, it, they want to present themselves as a government of integrity, etc. And actually, we're not really seeing that change in VI changing much it's from since Sunak took over from Trust. So the Conservatives are still 25 points behind the Labour Party. Um, Labour on 51%, the Conservatives on 26%. Um, this is the lowest we've had them in decades. In, um, so in recent months, they have peaked lower, but we're not seeing them in the low 20s for decades. Um, no government has really recovered from this to go on to win an election. Um, and Rishi Sunak was brought in to try and be that change, um, someone who's sensible change of ship, um, going to get things back on track. And we're also seeing his satisfaction figures um, fall um, faster than we've ever seen anyone's fall, bar Liz Truss, who I think is going to be a footnote in lots of these um, record-breaking figures. There will always be bar um, Liz Truss's government. So we've got 55% dissatisfied with Rishi Sunak now, only 26% satisfied, putting him on minus 29. So yep, no one's fallen as low as this as quickly. Um, and it's worth remembering, most prime ministers do have a honeymoon, and he's not had that at all. Um, so we've now got him behind on voting intention, the Conservative Party. They're behind on leadership. We also had them behind on who's best to handle the economy. So that's kind of the magic trifecta to win an election. And the Conservatives are now behind on all of those. 
Holly, just briefly, what do you make of some of those numbers? It almost feels like that's just, I mean, you'd be forgiven for thinking, well, that's just that, isn't it? Yeah, I think um, in terms of government satisfaction ratings, they're certainly in in poor company historically, as as Cameron was mentioning. The the trust figures, if we kind of leave them alone as a as a as an outlier, um, at the minute the government satisfaction ratings are kind of lingering at the levels um, that were seen during the uh, the kind of the Black Wednesday crash during John Major's premiership, and also towards the end of of Theresa May, where it was going quite badly for her. So so not good company to be in, and obviously we know how how those two things played out in terms of what happened at the, at the elections after that and I've read quite a lot this week about um, kind of echoes of the of the, the major years in 1992 um, I don't know if this is conservatives trying to trying to rally themselves that they might be able to pull off a shock defeat or if they're trying to unnerve Labour um, but echoes of a situation where it looked as you said in the intro where Labour were were potentially could could run away with things um, and it looked unlikely that they, they could lose and yet still did. I think the deciding factor here, um, and Cameron you'll probably talk a bit more about it, is uh, are the Rishi Sunak's leadership ratings in combination with the party favourability ratings and when those two things are both going in the same direction and they're both going quite badly, um, that's the difference that I can see with historic comparisons and where they, they might not be able to uh, to turn it around in the same way that they have previously if both of those ratings continually to continue to go in a negative direction. So so Cameron, is this recoverable then? I mean, Rishi Sunak's obviously brought out his five pledges, which I think have, have come in for some stick from some quarters. But I mean, personally, I feel like they're in the right sort of areas. Certainly we know from our Ipsos issues index that the NHS and uh, you know the cost of living and the economy generally are key public concerns. I mean, we've had analysis on this recently showing, though, that there's a fair amount of scepticism that the government can deliver on some of those, particularly uh, the NHS. Um, but presumably, <laughs> other than just acknowledging, yep, yeah, it's all over, we're going to lose, which no government's ever going to do, uh, they're going to talk, talk a good game. But what, does, what do we think in terms of the numbers? Is it, is it recoverable? Yep, so similar to Holly, I've seen lots online this week about if this is a 92 or 97 scenario. Um, in 92, Major did have better leadership ratings. He was quite popular when he came in, um, in those very early days. So that kind of won him over there. Um, and I think it's quite a state to be in to say we're either going to have a shock defeat, um, a shock win or a massive landline defeat. It's not a great position to be those being your two options. Um, when we ask the public, two in three say the next election is a time for change. 70% um, think the government has done a bad job. So 13 years in, he's also having to deal with the legacy of the Conservative governments before him. Um, Rishi Sunak were kind of was brought in as this rebrand, the idea he was competent, straight-laced, serious, the complete opposite to Boris, um, to Boris Johnson. But it feels instead of him bringing the Conservatives up, some of those um, cons um, perceptions tied to the Conservative Party are actually dragging him down a bit as we're getting um, stories about sleaze, come back up, etc. Um, and whilst he was meant to be this competent guy, only 20% now say that, they say that they would describe the Conservative Party as competent, which is way behind where you were in the David Cameron days. Um, they've really fallen there. So as you've said, he's identified his pledges. And for what it's worth, I think the public agree that these are the right pledges. These are important to them. The NHS, cutting inflation, immigration, etc. 
but they actually have very low expectations for delivery from the Conservative Party at this point. And in fact, they lean towards being um, trusting more the Labour Party. Still a big question mark over whether the Labour Party could deliver on them, but there's more of a question mark than a straight X for the Conservative Party at the minute in our polling. Yes, I suppose it does it does come down to delivery then really, doesn't it? I mean, it's almost um, expectations are very low. Um, I think it's not hard to comprise the, to, to build the case that the Conservatives are in deep deep trouble slash finished but it's much harder to, uh, to to build the case that there's a there's a comeback but i guess cameron it's just about you know if expectations are low maybe it's not that hard to overshoot them and uh, and maybe get some sort of a political reward for that even if it is narrowing even if it is going into an election 10 points behind rather than 25. yep definitely worth a gamble of the dice and he thinks he can deliver them so if he can say coming up to the election look I've set out these pledges I've done this trust me to deliver more um I guess that's what he's hoping for um but it's very much you can talk about kind of relaunching for the year um rebranding and kind of going in positive um but they are going to um face some big challenges ahead it's not going to be plain sailing for them the cost of living as we come out of winter it's not necessarily going anywhere though um in fact, two and three tell us they expect the crisis hasn't reached its peak yet. So people are expecting it to get worse. Um, then you have things like Brexit. So three years on from Brexit, we had a poll out yesterday. 45% tell us that they think it's actually made their lives worse three years on. And that's kind of a flagship thing the Conservatives have done in their government. Um, the NHS um, is topping our issues index again, even beating the economy. Um, and Keir Starmer's has really started to make political meat out of that and asking about waiting lists, ambulance times, etc. And that's coupled with strikes. Immigration, definitely a priority for their base, but they don't actually think the Conservative Party are delivering on it. It's still a major concern for them. Um, and Labour were actually trusted more to deliver on the um, boats crisis in the channel in a poll we conducted towards the end of last year. And then, as we've said, this is all my advice scandal when a kind of lack of faith in government, which we're seeing creeping up the issues index. And again, that echoes back to Major's government when it kind of become mired in sleaze again. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting how John Major seems to be such a reference point. And it's either he can also be a saviour or the complete opposite <laughs> which john major are you yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. true um and then i think we've had the imf today suggesting that the british economy will grow well predicting recession i think actually but it will grow less than russia's which i think in the context is uh eyebrow raising i guess uh we'll, we'll see whether those predictions are uh are, are proven true but i think going back to the pledges i mean it's worth looking at ipsos polling on this because what we did was um if you look at those five pledges they're broken into um, you could tell these have been message tested, uh, the cynic in me. Um, they're broken into sort of action and consequence. So we will cut inflation to improve the cost of living. We will reduce the debt to secure the future of public services, etc. So we'll do X to achieve Y. And we, we broke those five pledges into those component parts. So basically breaking each one into two. And, and what's striking from the Conservatives is there's, I mean, I wouldn't say there's an endorsement, but there's some degree of, oh, you might deliver on the action, so the, the halving inflation or the um, the cutting debt, but it's actually the consequence of the big picture stuff where the public seem to be most cynical uh, on the Conservatives' prospects. So, for example, you might cut inflation, but will you actually improve the cost of living? Um, you might reduce the debt, but will you actually secure the future of Britain's public services? Uh, and as I've said before, the NHS waiting times are the ones that the public are particularly cynical on. So I suppose one of the things Rishi Sunak can't 
forget as prime minister is that to, to talk about the big vision and to talk about the, the brighter day ahead. Um, it is much more difficult for him, given how long the Conservatives have been in power uh, than David Cameron, let's say, in 2015. But there are similarities there in the sense of, you know, David Cameron and George Osborne would talk about a long term economic plan and, and green shoots. And, you know, you don't don't change. Um, I think I'm paraphrasing George Bush here, but don't change horses mid race kind of thing. You know, um, it's a harder argument when you've been in power a long time. But I think that that vision thing what we're actually taking this pain for, what are we going to get to at the end that's going to be good, is, is definitely going to be something the Conservatives have to sell at the next election. Uh, they might not be able to sell it, uh, but if it's just about pain, then clearly that time for a change narrative may well be fixed. Um, let's talk about the opposition though, Holly, the Labour Party. Um, clearly they're going to be very pleased with where they are, but when we dig deeper into their poll ratings and to Starmer's poll ratings in particular, what, what stands out to you? I think particularly in comparison to, um, as Cameron was talking about, Rishi Sunak's satisfaction ratings currently aren't going in a particularly positive direction. The same can't really be said for Starmer. He's almost net neutral and we we do say a lot on this podcast, neutral might not sound like a big thing, but actually if, you, if you're hitting neutral, that's a, a pretty safe um, and positive place to be, to be honest. So we've got 37% of, of people saying they're satisfied with him. And in terms of contextually at this time in their tenure, only David Cameron had higher ratings in opposition. Um, bit of a word of caution on that, though, that Jeremy Corbyn was hovering around a similar level. So you've got to take these things with a pinch of salt. But I think he'll be pleased with where he's at now compared to where he came from and the kind of the direction of travel towards the end of last year. Um, and it will make him feel a bit better as well that his ratings are continuing to trail up, upwards, particularly with Labour supporters. So he seems to be doing a much better job this year than he has in previous years of solidifying that base, which was looking pretty dicey at times um, up until the start of last year. And I think the turning point that we've spoken about a little bit was potentially conference um, last year where he, he managed to kind of bolster the support of his base a little bit. And all that means he um, that's kind of translating into public perception of, of, of them trying to imagine him as prime ministerial material as well. So he now actually leads um, he leads on he leads by six points um, compared to Rishi Sunak on has what it takes to be a good prime minister and capability to be a good prime minister. And in Sunak's first ratings on that uh, last month, we actually had him ahead of Starmer. So there's been a there's been a big swing there that won't feel particularly nice for the Conservatives, given the starting point that, that they were at. And it doesn't seem either like Starmer's had to do too much to make that swing happen, which I think is is potentially the more concerning thing. Um, he also leads Boris for what it's worth on that as well, because we've still been polling uh, with the mumblings of, of people potentially touting Boris Johnson to come back as prime minister. But Sama comfortably leads both Sunak and Boris Johnson on what it would take to be a, a good prime minister. And again, with the Labour support, he's got really good figures. So two thirds of Labour supporters um, think he has what it takes to be a good prime minister now. And we've seen that trend again um, continuing in a positive direction over the over the past few months since conference. So um, a couple of a couple of positive positive things from a personal perspective in terms of Starmer's ratings. I think in our in our recent releases. Yeah, I was looking into this in a bit more detail, and I think it's uh, there's an interesting juxtaposition in Starmer's numbers, I think, which is one is that he's very, there's, there's ample evidence that he's um, uh, de detoxified the Labour brand, for want of a better phrase. That might be a loaded phrase to some people, but um, there's certainly not the hostility to the prospect of a Labour government that there has been under, um, with the public, uh, that there has been under Ed Miliband. 
and uh, under Jeremy Corbyn. Um, you know, I mean, on on our personal level, um, when you talk about ready to be prime minister, I mean, you've got about six in ten at, at times were saying that disagreeing that Jeremy Corbyn and Ed Miliband were ready to be prime minister. You're getting around 37% disagreeing that Keir Starmer's ready. So it's maybe it's not enthusiastic support, but it's certainly uh, there, there's not that hostility. And it's going to be what that means in practice is it's going to be harder, at least at the moment, for the Conservatives to go into the next election saying. Well, we're implicitly saying, well, you might not like us, but go, oh, you don't want that lot in, do you? Um, now, there might be elements of that. They might try and make that a thing um, by by creating bigger problems for Starmer's reputation in in the campaign. But at the moment, we're not seeing it. I think, but 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 counterintuitively, part of that I think is because for a lot of people, they don't necessarily know what Keir Starmer's about. He's he's actually kept his cards quite close to his chest in terms of policy, which is what you know, a lot of people think is the best thing for leaders of the opposition to do. So last June, July, 49% uh, uh, said that they, oh, sorry, they, they agreed uh, that they didn't know what Keir Starmer stood for. So 49% said, yeah, I don't know what Keir Starmer st stands for. Now that figure's down to 44%, so it's fallen, but it's still a decent number. And I think, that, and I guess this is the problem. On the one hand, not knowing what he stands for for large numbers of people might actually help him at the moment because it, there's nothing to be hostile against. But at some point, you're going to have to have a manifesto and at some point you're going to have to come out and say what it is you're about. And that obviously is the moment of jeopardy because, you know, depending on what he's proposing, either on the one hand, people might not like Labour's plans, think they're too extreme or radical or something, and therefore they go back to the Conservatives. But on the flip side, you might get young sort of progressive sort of Corbyn supporters, uh, to use that colloquial shorthand, who, who look at what Labour promised in the next manifesto and say, that's not enough for me and that's, that's not radical enough and maybe I'll go and vote Green. Or, or Lib Dem or not vote at all. So um, there is a moment, I think, uh, where Starmer has to come off the fence, at least to some degree. And I suppose that might be a bit of uh, a bit of jeopardy um, for him. What about the Labour Party, though, generally, Holly? Um, it seems to me that like Sunak and Starmer's ratings are often reasonably similar, although Starmer's pulling ahead a bit. But what about Labour versus the Conservatives? And this is the important combination of factors, right? You kind of need, you need a positive outlook for the party and a positive outlook for the person in charge as a as a combination um, to be able to succeed. I think historically, and the polling you mentioned earlier is really important. I think where we've asked people um, about what they think uh, would would there be chaos under a Labour government, basically, and we know that this term was thrown, this term's been thrown at them. Uh, multiple election cycles previously um and that figure's halved since since here starmer's taken over and jeremy corbyn's no longer leader so i think as you said detoxifying the brand or just generally improving the way that the labor party is perceived not necessarily among the labor party base per se but potentially those 2019 switches the undecideds people that they could potentially win over i think that's been a really crucial first step for the labor party and for starmer and as you said then he now has to work on so what does his brand what does Keir starmer's labor party look like he's been able to kind of get rid to an extent of, of the views of the past of what it stood for he now needs to make it look his own and that's where he's currently struggling and that's the stage he's currently at because as you said 44 people are still unsure what he stands for and if they're unsure what he stands for they're probably unsure what the Labour Party currently stands for but it's not necessarily affecting their likability at the moment they're 23 points ahead um, on party likability ratings versus the Conservative Party which like 
up until uh, 2000 and well, we go back to 2007 on this and that's the biggest gap that we've seen. So there's clearly room for manoeuvre there. The danger is going to be, as you've said, with so many people still unsure, it could be perceived as negative that, that he currently doesn't stand for anything. We've seen accusations laid at his door that he's willing to kind of flip flop between what he thinks, what he believes in. Um, Captain Hindsight was also thrown at him some point uh, that he was willing to change his mind and pick up other people's policies. And the obvious danger there is the longer he leaves it, the easier it is to level those criticisms at him. So there is going to be a, po be a point, as you said, probably during the, the manifesto launches that he's going to come up, have to come up with what his Labour Party stands for, what he stands for and what his vision for the future are. And at that point, we're going to see those undecideds make a decision and it could really go, um, it could really go either way but he's he's in a good starting point that he's managed to get the party image and party brand to a point where he can now build from that which way that'll go um i'm not entirely sure yes and i think i mean if you think about head to the next general election the one thing on my mind is um i mean rules are there to be broken this is very important to say but uh if we look at the history of national swing since from one election to the next, uh, since the Second World War, there have been two elections where the national swing has been 10 points or more. Uh, 1945 itself, which in many ways, I think you kind of almost have to treat as its own unique experience, given the context of that right uh, after after the Second World War, um, but also 1997, um, which and this goes back to the discussion, is this 92, is this 1997? But to put some context in this uh, for people um, who, who are looking at polls showing Labour 25 points ahead or 20 points ahead and so on, if there was a 10 point swing from uh, the last general election in 2019 to the next one, so roughly, you know, back of a cigarette packet, but roughly kind of what we saw in those two examples that I've used, then you'd end up with something like Labour on 42 and the Conservatives on 35. Um, in, and in, in that world, you start getting into the territory where that's probably a Labour majority, but obviously it then does does depend a lot on kind of the the what happens in individual seats, as we know. And that's a whole other podcast for how sort of uh, uh, different areas of the country might swing in different directions. Now, that's not, I mean, to be clear, that's not a prediction on my part. Um, we, we don't, as I say, rules are there to be broken. So that just because it's only ever been maximum 10 points or so since the Second World War doesn't mean we can't have in the aftermath of uh, a pandemic and war in Ukraine and a cost of living crisis and three conservative prime ministers in one parliament, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't mean there can't be a unique confluence of events that mean uh, that we get 12, 14 point swings or whatever it is uh, or, or higher that we're kind of seeing at the moment. Um, we're in the upper teens at the moment, I think, in terms of what the polls are suggesting. Um, but it does give me personally a little bit of pause for thought just in terms of what to expect at the next election, because even the biggest swings that we've seen since the Second World War still wouldn't necessarily produce certainly a blowout, but um, a, a sort of a, a solid working Labour majority. So, as I say, rules there to be broken, but don't be surprised if things narrow because we're talking mega, mega landslide if the types of um, polls we're producing at the moment were what the election result was. But anyway, in closing, then, I'm going to come to both of you individually. I'll come to you, Cameron, first, and last word to Holly. I mean, what sort of things are you looking out for 
um, so in the next few months, both in terms of, I mean, well, up to you, either in terms of events, uh, but also in terms of the numbers that come through in our political monitor on a monthly basis. What are you, what are you looking at to think, okay, okay yes, voting intention maybe, but what is it that you're trying, you want to unpick as, uh, as we look ahead to what, uh, what happens in 2023? Cameron, I'll come to you first. I think you do need to be paying close attention to those satisfaction ratings. So as as you've picked a, upon Kieran, we have seen Sunak and Starmer being quite similar. But in this first political month of the month, we have seen them break apart. So Starmer on minus three to Sunak on, I think, around minus 29. That is a big difference now. And it, you've got to see whether that gap keeps expanding. Because as much as we're talking about Starmer being neutral, they're not infused by him. He's not quite living up to Cameron or Blair's satisfaction figures. You don't actually need to be popular to win an election. You need to be more popular than the other person. And Boris Johnson almost showed that. Boris Johnson was, was an wildly popular and loved by the public. He was just more popular than Jeremy Corbyn at the time. So as long as Keir Starmer can keep ahead on that, and if he's pulling ahead on voting intention, and then also that key question of the economy, I'd be looking at those three measures in conjunction together to see where we're at by the end of the year. Final word to you, Holly. I'm going to be keeping track of our issues index, actually. Um, we've seen the economic uh, the economic issues, inflation, price rises, the economy in general, dominating our issues index over the past, um, the kind of the back end of last month, really. But this month, as Cameron mentioned earlier, the NHS has jumped to the top of the list. And that's the 15% rise is quite a big jump compared to what we usually see. Other public services are also rising up that list. So things like housing, things like education are also rising up that list. So it's going to be interesting to see um, what particularly the Labour Party has to say on those policy areas as a, as a party, uh, according to our polling, that can be kind of trusted to deliver on, on public services. That's that's where it's going to make or break, I think. And as you mentioned earlier, Kieran, the IMF forecast that came out um, today, it, it doesn't mean then that the economy is going to disappear off that list, that the cost of living isn't going to mean uh, a lot to people. It's not going to go away and it won't be happy reading for the Chancellor today, given um, kind of the, the plans that he's made and the policies that he's putting out there. So the tricky economic context, I think, is going to make it really difficult for the government, particularly if they wanted to do things like increase taxes, decrease on spending, particularly in a run up to election. Those things aren't necessarily generally popular. Um, and they're usually a party that points to economic competence as one of their key differentials for Labour. So I think keeping an eye on that could really make or break uh, the Conservative Party over the next few months. And obviously context is is key on this. Um, as we've said multiple times in this podcast and many of the other episodes, um, things can change very, very quickly. So we should keep an eye out on what happens over the next few months um, economically, I think. Yeah, great, great points from both of you there. I, th I think that um, I often say to people, for, to Cameron's point, Vote, whilst voting intention is obviously extremely important and that you know that is effectively what people follow closest because it's the result and it's what we get judged on most uh, at that election time so not dismissing that but looking at some of those underlying uh, sort of figures beneath that is often useful um, partly to sort of sense check what we think the headline figure might do in the future and just and, and to kick the tires on that because you know when you're seeing Labour Party 25 points ahead it's worth looking underneath that to think, okay, Rishi Sunak, so let's use a more positive one for the government. Rishi Sunak's poll ratings have traditionally been competitive with Keir Starmer, so maybe that's an angle that you could see things changing. Now, as Cameron's explained, Rishi Sunak's ratings have been falling uh, in the last month, so maybe not. Um, but you kind of, you're kind of looking for those leading indicators that suggest uh, or, 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 or that show how things might turn around. Um, there aren't, the, let's be honest, there are scant 
scant evidence for that at the moment because on, on almost any issue you care to, to poll on, um, the Conservatives are really, really struggling. And to that point, I think, Holly, you're right that the issues index is particularly important. Um, we often say it's that if you're ahead, a good rule of thumb for any election is if if you're ahead on the issue that's most important to people, chances are you're you're going to win. And, and right now, the, the most important issue is the NHS, um, uh, followed by the cost of living and, and the economy, of course, closely behind. But I mean, we know that the NHS is traditionally a, a brand strength for Labour and a problem for the Conservatives. So I suppose for me, I'll be looking to see to what extent uh, is the crisis in the NHS able to be something that the government get a handle on as we sort of head to warmer weather, etc., or, or not? I mean, I guess, I guess we have to see. But I'm also looking at other issues such as the war in Ukraine and also, uh, strikes uh, and, and the boats uh, and borders issues, because we know that to varying degrees, those are issues that are important to key demographics, uh, key groups of voters. Um, and may raise up, rise up the issues index uh, in the future. But um, lots to keep an eye on, and, and certainly that's a lot of that's for another day. Um, so for now, uh, that's all we've got time for for this uh, month's Politics Talk, Ipsos Politics Talk podcast. Uh, my name is Kieran Pedley. Big thank you to my colleagues Cameron Garrett and Holly Day for joining me uh, today to go through some of those numbers. And if you do like what you uh, hear or, or see from this podcast, please do consider subscribing uh, or, or sharing us on social media. It does help uh, uh, spread the word and get the podcast out and get new uh, listeners and viewers. But for now, thanks for listening and watching and have a great day.